1: Hello and welcome to Baseball Barbacast, the only baseball podcast in the world that cannot wait for Angels in the Outfield 3 featuring Lucas Giolito. I'm Jake Mintz. That's Jordan Schusterman. And that sound is my arms a-flapping for the halos of Orange County. Oh boy, do we have stuff to talk
0: about today. Yes, it is Friday. We have so much to talk about. Uh, you are going to hear an interview with Derek Gould of the St. Louis Post-Dispatch, one of our favorite beat writers, kind of previewing what is going to be a fascinating Cardinals trade deadline. So we hear that in the middle of the show, but of course we're leading off with the 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 Angels, Angels of Anaheim, and oh, and every in the direction with which they have sent this trade deadline, which we are certainly very excited about. We'll get to some other trades uh, like David Robertson and Carl Santana at the end of the show, as well as some good, bad, ugly. But Jake. So much to get to, so many Angel's thoughts, and I'm going to see the Barbie movie soon. So we have to get started. Let's begin with, let's actually go back to before the, the Luke Giulio trade. Let's go back to the report earlier this week that Tom Reducci, ever heard of him? Puts out on SI and says, guess what everybody? Shohei Otani is not getting traded. I want your reaction to this news when it happened because I sort of rolled my eyes, not because I didn't believe it, because I had had already been believing it the whole time, but I was like, okay, what is really, like, is this really definitive news? Because when we're talking about a franchise where everything is on the whim of the owner, why do I really believe that this has already been decided? That was my first reaction at that point. So what was your reaction then? It was the scene from Wolf of Wall Street, except instead of, I'm not fucking
1: leaving. It was, he's not fucking going anywhere. Um, Here was my thought. So Sam Bloom of The Athletic, who covers the Angels, wrote a very compelling article about kind of criticizing the Angels' decision to take him off the market at that time, saying like, look, you have five games left before the deadline. If you go 0-5, you look like a dodo If you've already taken him off the market and then you have to put him back on the market. And I totally understand that rationale. Here's why I liked this move. If I'm in the Angels clubhouse and we get definitive news that he's not going anywhere. And after all the will they won't they. You finally genuinely understand that the front office and the ownership is believing in the group of players in the clubhouse. And is going to invest and supplement that group. That is an invigorating piece of news. Now, how much can you believe that news, right, is worth discussing? But I could imagine a scenario where GM Perry Manassian went to ownership and said, look, if we're not going to trade him, let's say that. Because that is going to really invigorate it and inspire some of the dudes in that club. Like, can you just imagine being in that room and that news trickles in like that Shohei's not going anywhere?
0: Sure. Now, I also want to say that, and this is a reaction to both the trade that they ended up making, which of course we'll talk about, and you know whether it's reckless to make this decision ahead of the deadline, whatever, blah blah blah. Say to say, like, and and obviously respect Sam's reporting and and his analysis because I agree with ninety nine percent of it. However, in this case, this is kind of the thesis of everything that I think we're about to say about the Angels, <laughs> which is that being like, oh my God, this is reckless. This could set them up for total disarray and, and uh, you know, mortgaging the future. Uh, who who can, Listen, it's not like they've had a bunch of success. Like, they, this has already been a disaster, right? It's been a disaster for the whole time. And while you could say, oh my God, well, they have to consider, you know, the, the health of the franchise. I am glad they are, for some reason, finally now deciding, you know what, fuck it. Because honestly, I'm feeling, where the hell was this urgency the entire time? Uh, Reportedly, they are finally going to go into the luxury tax at this stage. And I'm just wondering, like, the the craziest thing is, on one hand, I'm I'm loving it. I'm saying, great, Angels, finally you're doing this. And I hope that they continue to make moves. And maybe this ends up being the biggest move that they make. But I hope they keep pursuing. But I'm just like, this is actually making me more mad at how they've kind of straddled this line to this point. But also, everybody is rooting for them. And now we'll see how much they disappoint us. (laughs)
1: the health and wellness of the franchise is irrelevant here it's like if someone with terminal lung cancer asked you for a cigarette what are you gonna say no it's not good for you right like at that point fuck it take a hit like go all in baby
0: May if you you know some of you listening might love edgar caro and we'll get into all that this team was already heading for a cliff and now i know that there's some people saying hey this this run it could convince Otani to stay. I, I don't even want to get into that because I don't even think that that's particularly relevant. Partially because I don't think that that's likely, but also because it's not about that. What it is about is that finally, for some reason, they've decided, hey, let's give it our all, go into the luxury tax, trade our best prospects to help Shohei Otani win real Major League Baseball games when it matters.
1: Correct. And let's get to the Giolito trade specifics just in one second. And before that, talk about the overall decision, right? That they are going for it. They are pushing the chips in as much as they are able to do. They are eschewing the future for the present. And something that Andy McCullough, our friend at The Athletic, wrote in the Giolito trade reaction kind of stuck with me. The idea that the Angels have a moral obligation, a moral obligation to to see this through with Otani. And I agree with that. He is the greatest, most miraculous, transcendent baseball force we have ever seen. And he is in your employ for two more months. And you owe it to the baseball scales of justice to strive, to build, to do, to chase the dream. In life, Jordan, and particularly in modern baseball, there's this compelling urge to like shrink away and to turtle and to do the conservative and easy thing, to be prudent. And what Perry Manassian, Artie Moreno, the owner, and everyone else are doing here, they're throwing their 401k out the window and they're running to Vegas and they're putting it all on red. And I say, hell yeah. The future does not exist in this decision. This is Evil Knievel pointing to the ridge across the canyon, taking a snort of cocaine and saying, yeah, I can make that jump. I got Shohei Ohtani behind me because Jordan Fortune, who does it favor? The bold.
0: Apparently it favors a GM named Perry. <laughs> the bold.
1: Okay, is holding on to Ohtani the correct or the smart or the prudent move? No, sir. No, it is not. But it is the most rousing course of action possible. And all decisions have risk. This one is no different, but it is fun as hell. And by holding on to him, the angels are saying, we're going down guns blazing, the 2024 might as well be a universe away. The future, that's tomorrow's problem. They are living for the moment. And that is
0: something that
1: we can all learn from. And to the angels, Jordan and I say,
0: huzzah. Yeah. Amen to all that. And again, as I kind of mentioned earlier, they were arguably heading to the cliff anyway. Right. And so really what this is, is trying to strap on some jetpacks and make it as far across the canyon as they possibly can. And when your jetpacks are the greatest baseball player you've ever seen, as demonstrated during Thursday's doubleheader in Detroit, when Mr. Otani threw his first major league uh, complete game shutout and followed it up with two home runs before his body was like, all right, that's a little bit too much um, Unfathomable physical activity for one day. I'm going to send my uh, my owner to the <laughs> to the to the bench for the rest of this doubleheader against the Tigers. Totally understandable, Shohei Otani's body. I do not blame you whatsoever. But when you have that, I totally agree with everything you just said. At this point, screw it. Now, sure, there was a version of this season where they were 30 games out and like they would trade him, right? But at this point, it, it, whether they're the difference between them being three games out and seven games out is does not matter to me. That should not make a difference. And I think that now that they actually obviously have this hot streak, maybe you're right. Maybe it has galvanized the team to some degree. And now let's get to the trade because they got some reinforcements coming in, some tall, lanky, dorky reinforcements coming in in the form of our friend Lucas Giolito shipped the first uh, selling uh, piece selling off of the Chicago White Sox uh, trade bonanza, which is sure to uh, commence over the next few days. Um, wow. First of all, this was our first all caps breaking of the... Uh, I know Ken hit us with an all caps breaking late last night for David Robertson. I don't know if that rate r- rose to the level, but I understood it. Uh, you were asleep. Let's start there. Totally fair. Uh, this was on Wednesday night and I was uh, finishing up some other writing. And getting ready to sleep, and I was like, oh, never mind. Lucas Giolito, Reynaldo Lopez, two pending free agents, are off to Orange County in exchange for two of the Angels' best prospects, catcher Edgar Caro and left-handed pitcher Kai Bush. Let's talk about what Lucas Giolito and Reynaldo Lopez are and how they will help the Angels.
1: Lucas Giolito has been many things. Throughout his baseball career, he has been a projected number one overall pick who then got hurt and fell in the draft. He was a top prospect. He was a failed prospect. He was the worst pitcher in baseball. He was an all-star, but now he has more or less settled into, he's a three-starter. At least this year, he has performed like a solid, dependable three-starter. He could start game three or four of a postseason series for a good, good team, and you will feel fine about that. He throws a lot of innings. <clears throat> and he's going to give this team some stability moving forward with the potential for more, right? We have seen him be one of the best 15 pitchers in the world before. Uh, he, in theory, could be that again. Do I think he will? No, the peripherals are not particularly great this season, but Lucas immediately becomes one of the three best starters on the Angels. Ronaldo Lope, go ahead.
0: Yeah, no, and and I think too, right? Like he's kind of settled in, right? We saw his peak in 21, and the biggest difference right now is he's just not throwing as hard as he was even a couple years ago. Now, last year, you could have chalked that up to some some health issues um, and just some inconsistency. This year, he's kind of settled in and has found his a lot of swing and miss stuff, but it's just not quite as overpowering. Can he get back to that someday? Maybe. But what you're buying right now, what we feel like we know right now, is this. Now, you could also say, hey, <laughs> talk about a guy that is now going to be uh, gassed up. Not that not, Lucas isn't always giving it his all, right? But pitching for the team that is trying to get show time to the postseason is very different than pitching for the 2023 White Sox. <laughs> and while I don't doubt Lucas' motivation that any human being you would expect, would be even more gassed up. So maybe we see a little bit of extra heat, but yes, that's what you're buying. I agree. Mid rotation startup. I think Lopez is a fascinating part of this trade. And another pitcher who has also been a lot of things and you might not just a lot of things, a lot of things with Lucas, as Lucas pointed out in his interview yesterday, they've been together since they were 18. They came up together with the Nats. Um, we saw them in double a in 2016, or we thought we were going to see both of them. We saw Lopez throw probably one of the best starts of his minor league career in New Hampshire. Lucas got called up to the big leagues that, that same week. And Lopez was amazing. He was a starting pitcher prospect. And like Lucas, it did not work for a while. But instead of figuring it out as in a starting role, Lopez over the last couple of years has become a pretty sweet reliever. Now this year what has happened is he's throwing harder than ever which to me is fascinating because he was known for his upper 90s heat as a starting pitcher coming up through the minor leagues, and it never really came together as a starter in the big leagues. He was never throwing that hard. But this year, he has thrown more pitches. Now, of course, he's in a full-time relief role now, but he's been a reliever for a couple seasons now. This year, he's thrown more pitches 99 miles an hour than all of his previous seasons combined. Um, He is easily throwing harder than ever before. The strikeouts are way up. The walks are also way up. So it's a little bit more erratic. But the upside here for Lopez, I think, would have been a fantastic addition for a ton of teams. And to get him in this package, too, does make this an even sweeter deal than just getting Giolito.
1: Just a really quick note, Jordan, on the pieces Angels give away with Cuero and with Kai Bush. I would say Edgar Cuero is like a future big league starting catcher. That is the profile here. Hopefully. Catchers are very volatile. A million things can happen, but he looks like, not saying in the same type of player, but when we look back on, like, Omar Narvaez, and it's like, ah, yes, he was a big league catcher for a number of seasons, and he was never spectacular, and, uh, you know, was solid. Like, that's the Edgar Cuero level of guy, right? I don't think
0: he'll ever be an all-star. Go ahead. Well, I'm just saying, if you're a White Sox fan, you're like, fuck, I know Omar Narvaez. (laughs) (laughs) They know the bad one. But I, yeah, I, I know that what you're trying to say is more rational than like you're dissing him. I know it's, but this is the problem with prospects now in the way that we talk about trades, right? Is that people have all these, it's... So easy. To, and we're going to talk about this with the Robertson trade. You just jump to the prospect ranking and say, this is a win or a disaster. Like, it's not that simple. And Caro, if this was a year ago, you'd be like, holy shit. This is one of the best catching prospects in baseball because he goes to double A and isn't as good this year. You're like, oh, he sucks. It's like, no, it's, it's somewhere in between. And so I agree with you. At the Same time, like he is a consensus top 100 prospect. And that is a good thing to get for rentals. Like that's true. That I think that is an objective fact. Kai Bush is a little bit more complicated just because he was hurt for a lot of the season. I liked him a lot. He really came on strong in in the kind of his spring in 2021 Had a good season last year. Like at the same time, like this is another kind of the existential question about the White Sox over the next few days is why am I trusting them? Why am I trusting them to identify and acquire and develop these prospects? I I don't have a good reason to. So I like the talent here. I, I like Carroll. I like Bush a good bit, but that's kind of my, my issue there, relatively.
1: Let's talk about it with the White Sox. Um, they're bad. Mm-hmm. They're going to sell.
0: Yep. And
1: I don't really have a whole lot else to say.
0: Yeah, I think the one interesting part is Giolito was conceivably their best piece. It seems like they are going to hang on to Cease, but they have a lot of pieces of business to do. Why do this one now? I mean, they decided, okay, this is where we love this. Caros, this Caro and Bush is as good as it's going to get. Uh, but it was pretty tough to hear. <laughs> there was a clip of them from the Rick Hahn presser or someone, I guess not jokingly, but was like, because remember, like the Giolito trade was, that Eden trade originally was like part of kind of a rebuild, right? And so now you're trading away Giolito and it's time when you, that team didn't actually get anywhere. And someone asked, like, are we starting another rebuild? And Rick Khan kind of like scoffed and was like, oh, come on. But it's like, yeah, dude, <laughs> like, sorry, like, that's kind of where we're at. And it seems like they want to build around, <clears throat> seems like they want to build around Robert and Cease, which like makes some sense. But like I just said, like, this front office does not have the benefit of the doubt anymore. And so I hope for White Sox fans' sake that they can haul in some good players, but I'm a little worried.
1: Last thing before we take a quick break. You mentioned this a bit before, but the Angels make all these trade. They they make this trade. They say they're keeping Otani. And then they have a doubleheader against the Tigers. They get rained out on Wednesday, and so they have to do uh, back-to-back games on Thursday afternoon. And Otani justifies the decision-making almost immediately. Complete game shutout in game one. A one-hitter, which he has never thrown a complete game before in the big leagues. And then two home runs in game two. There was a moment, Jordan, that really stuck with me when I watched this this game. His last pitch to finish the game was bad. It was a fastball. I believe they got much too much of the plate. And Riley Green, the Tigers outfielder, lasered one to center right at Mickey Moniak for the final out of the game. Right? So, pitcher gets the final out. Camera cuts back to him. They're expecting complete game. Shut One hitter. Holy shit. And Otani you could see him kind of cursing at himself because of the bad pitch he made to finish the game. And he's clearly pissed. Like I think it was Chad Wallach comes out and like daps him up and, and Otani's not happy. He's not happy because of that final pitch. And it's like, that is greatness. That's right? That thing. is, that's how, that you, is why he is the that's guy.
0: That's how you, that's how you are the way that you are. And the best part about him too, is like, even when he's frustrating, frustrated it is still so endearing the way that he fails because it's so rare um god he's jesus christ anyway
1: and then wait quickly like you mentioned this so it's hot as balls in america right now (laughs) because global warming right and so it's like a hundred degrees in detroit and he he throws a complete game shutout day game in uh, under the sun while he's hitting if he doesn't play in game two you're like sure they there are other players who didn't play in both of the games, right? I know. Like they were like, oh, we'll
0: get him into having <laughs> but then he, get Mike is. Like, leaves with cramps, and you know, some people are tweeting like, well, he shouldn't be starting the second game. It's like, no, but like this is the whole point. They we decided a couple years ago that remember, there was so much discourse when he first got here. How are they gonna manage it? And at some point the Angels just decided, let him do whatever he wants. And I mean it's the coolest fucking thing i've ever seen is it as we just saw cuz he leveled cramps maybe putting pushing a little too far possibly is he the person that knows himself the best yes and he, should he be making these decisions because why would we doubt him also yes
1: <laughs> i would say that him cramping up after throwing more innings in the major leagues than he's ever thrown before and unleashing two 110 plus mile an hour home runs and then cramping like yeah I hope so, but that's worth it. Yeah, take him out of the game, get him a water, run it back tomorrow. <laughs> no notes.
0: Um, all right, we're obviously going to continue to talk about tiny plenty, but for now, we're going to take a quick break. And when we return, we are going to talk to Derek Gould, Cardinals beat writer, about their fascinating plans as the deadline approaches.
1: This is former PGA Tour winner Smiley Kaufman, host of the Smiley Show, a SiriusXM podcast. You want to know what I love about golf? I get to talk to some really cool people. I get to walk the fairways of the best courses in the world with the best players in the world. And I get to share it with you every single week. Listen to The Smiley Show right now on Stitcher, Pandora, Apple, or wherever you get your podcasts. That's Smiley, S M Y L I E.
0: And welcome back to Baseball barbacast. We are now very excited to be joined by one of our favorite beat writers on Earth, Mr. Derek Gould of the St. Louis Post-Dispatch. Derek, good morning. It is Friday. The Cardinals are bad and are going to trade away their players, exactly what you expected (laughs) to be talking about uh, in late July. How are you, sir? Well, thanks for joining us.
2: I'm good. Thank you for the kind words. It's uh, it's a pleasure to talk with you all. Um, What, long-time fan, first-time caller, so uh, very excited here.
1: If you're ranking people mm-hmm. in the baseball world plugged into their respective teams, you got to put Derek at the very top of the list. And that's why we wanted to have him on to explain to us what is going to be a very bizarre few days for the St. Louis Cardinals. But I, I want to start with a scenario, Derek. Sure. You're in line checking out at the Schnooks in okay? Ladue. <laughs> um, and- so I live
2: in the city, so I'd be at the Schnooks on Grant.
1: OK, the Schnucks on Grand. Sorry. That's oh, sorry. at The Schnucks We're on good. Grand. You're checking out. For those of you who don't know, Schnucks is a very local grocery chain in St. Louis. You're at the Schnucks. You're checking out a, uh, an acquaintance of yours from years ago recognizes you in the checkout line and they're like, Derek, wow, like you're covering the Cardinals. What's gone so wrong this year? And you have about two minutes to mm-hmm. check out all your produce before you got to go cook dinner. How are you explaining to interchangeable Joe here why the Cardinals season has been such a catastrophe?
2: I am really flattered in the scenario you think that I bought produce and that I made dinner. That is very fascinating. So thank you very much. Uh, the, uh, yeah, uh, pitching, pitching, pitching to, to quote the, the president of baseball operations for what he's looking for at the deadline. It is also the reason why the ground gave out beneath him. Pitching, pitching, pitching. Um, You can start with, as you should, the fact that they just, they ran what I could best describe as a pitching deficit, an innings deficit for so long. You think about how few quality starts they had, uh, you know, there in the first month of the season and how that had this trickle down effect on a bullpen that also was volatile. Uh, You know, there are seven blown saves away. It's It's not even the end of July. They got two more months left. And they're seven blown saves away from tying the franchise record for blown saves. They have 34 misplaced leads. Um, that, That adds up. And, you know, so now is that all the bullpen? That's not all the bullpen. That's the bullpen being asked to cover innings that the starting rotation left abandoned. And so they have all these orphan innings. The bullpen has to rush in to take it. The bullpen then is broken from its lanes. You got guys going in the sixth instead of in the eighth. You got matchups that the, the manager didn't want to have. All of a sudden now he has to have because they have to, they, the innings are coming and they have to fill them some way. And you just kind of created this cascade. Um, I've used the example before. and I can't think of a better one. You guys are welcome to it, but, it, but it's kind of like a credit card debt. You know, they kind of maxed out their credit card in April. And all of a sudden in May and June, that credit came due, and the pitching staff couldn't pay it.
1: Yeah. And um, how how is the city, before we get to the deadline, how has the city responded to this? Because as someone who went to college in St. Louis and spent four years of my life there, I gained an appreciation for the way St. Louis treats the Cardinals. From the outside, it's super easy to dunk on it, and there are elements of it that are, you know, LOLable from from afar. But when you're living there and you're a baseball fan, you do gain an appreciation for that relationship. So for such a baseball crazy city,
2: how have they reckoned with a legitimately bad team? They're thrilled to have a first place soccer team, Uh, you know, an expansion (laughs) team that is uh, that is on its way to the MLS playoffs and doing all sorts of unexpansion type things and plays a very entertaining brand of soccer. I'm a season ticket holder. I'm very excited to have soccer here in town. Um, No, there's a lot of anger. Um, you know, it's, I think we'll probably talk about this, but, you know, it's the first time that they've been this bad in a social media world, right? Like, it's the first time they've been this awful when there's been Twitter. Now, last time they were bad, you know, you had message boards and listeners or whatever. But this is, you know, this is all volcanic and it feeds on itself. And it's like, who can get madder, louder, angrier, meaner um, online at times? And I recognize that that's like a small set. That's not exactly representative of the city. And you asked about the city. Um, I I think there is still a seething frustration with the city. Um, We're seeing it some at the ballpark. There's been booing, which you don't see. I mean, this place is, this is a place that gave a standing ovation once, not the whole place, but a couple sections, gave a standing ovation to Carlos Lee for robbing a home run from a Cardinal. They were like, well, that's a really good play. (laughs) All right. You know, way to go! Yeah, that that was an impressive <laughs> catch, and uh, there you go. Uh, I mean, they, they and it's genuine. They, like they 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 take that reputation, whether it comes from the '90s and Peter Gammons calling it, you know, the the best fans in baseball in his Diamond Notes, or it's uh, or it's Scott Rowland who recently went into the Hall of Fame. Who when he signed his deal or talked about signing his extension with the Cardinals, he referred to it as "quote unquote" baseball heaven. Um, the sense from the Cardinals ownership and from the Cardinals leadership is that. That fans and their business model cannot stomach a tank, that they can't go into a deep decline to rebuild. And so they have to do it fast. And I think fans recognize that and appreciate it. But what they want to see is direction. They don't want to see any fence straddling. They want to go like, look, man, either you're all in and you're trying to fend off the Dodgers who are coming after the pennant record. Or I'm sorry, the World Series record in the National League or. You're going into a rebuild and we're going to, you know, see some young players around here that we have to get to know and then hope to contend later. They, they you know, there's a sense around the city that like get off the fence. The model's been great. Modernize. Move on.
1: I and the, 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 another layer of it is like the Cardinals as an organization mm-hmm. have been very good on the amateur scouting side of identifying talent and then developing it in house. They have been particularly horrible. At then identifying their own talent at the upper levels and deciding which of those guys to trade away, which of those guys to keep. Sandy Alcantara, the names that you mentioned before, Zach Gallon, Randy Rosarena. And so that's where they've struggled, right? The self-evaluation. And as we reach this point in the trajectory of their competitive window where they need to make decisions on which of our players are we trading and which ones are we keeping, I am relatively skeptical That the same group that traded away the players I just listed is going to be able to make the correct decisions in such a crucial point. But I want to pivot a little bit now to some specific names that are on this roster. Mm -hmm. The way that we see it, and I'm curious if you agree, there are five rentals that could be traded away. By that, I mean players who hit free agency at the end of this year. Or in Paul DeYoung's case, have a team option. So it's sure. Paul DeYoung, Jordan Hicks, Chris Stratton, Jordan Montgomery, and Jack Flaherty. Of those five, rank them from most to least likely to be traded before Tuesday at six p.m.
2: Can I can I uh, can I borrow from Tony La Russa, um and use a phrase that he would often use? They're they're tied for first. Um, I think they I think they I think they'd move them all. I mean, it's a matter of in fact that's that's. That's something that is definitely on their mind and they're active doing is can they move them all? What is the offer that That's they the can hope. get? Yeah. What, what is the offer that they can get to move them? Um, packaging, some of them. Um, you see the Giolito trade to the Angels and you start lining up. OK, well, Montgomery and Hicks is pretty similar, right? Uh, Montgomery and Giolito's numbers are pretty similar. Then you have the reliever Hicks, um, maybe a little bit more of a, maybe closes that gap a little bit in that comp. Um, you know, they have teams that are interested in Jack Flaherty, um, particularly if you get top end Jack Flaherty, improving Jack Flaherty, who could be an October element for your rotation, as opposed to just a guy who gives you time through August and September. It can be somebody who changes with his ability, changes the look of a rotation, um, even if it's in four innings, five innings in the playoffs, which is pretty significant. And can they get a team that sees that too? And wants that guy in their championship pursuit um, post September. So I think, you know, they, uh, Paul DeYoung, what teams need shortstops. Uh, obviously, we've seen some infielders move. Um, it, it doesn't seem, I mean, they, they'll talk to teams about him. Um, not sure how many are aggressive on him. Um, you know, if they come out of this and they move all five, they'll be fine with that. If they keep one of the starting pitchers, because they do have innings that they have to pitch. And to your previous point about them identifying amateur talent, totally agree. Um, I would stop short of saying that they've been as good developing that talent as they once were. Um, it cannot be lost on fans or anybody that when they needed help this year, the minor leagues did not provide. They they did they did not that they, they did not have that starter that pitcher ready to plug and play they did not have that reliever ready to plug and play and that is different than previous years where you had a Michael Walker, a Marco Gonzalez um, you know we could go on and on um, Dakota Hudson was that guy not too long ago he has not been that guy this year so I think there is an element of where their development is not what it once was
0: so one, one thing about this – so as you mentioned, they're going to try to move all those guys. None of that would be surprising. I think that that's it's a great point about Montgomery and Hicks comparing it to Gilito and Lopez. But when we get back to the concept of them being novices at this, this is where I become skeptical that they are literally going to have time to figure out if they want to do something bigger. And I think Ooh. that's the other thing that when observers looking at this Cardinals roster and wondering what's going to happen – I'm also fascinated by the likelihood that they could pull off something more or if they even want to do that. And, of course, that, that you know, Arenado's had a lot of, you know, speculation and reporting kind of bubbled up over the last 24 hours uh, or so, which you've, of course, done a great job of covering uh, from, from the beginning. But even beyond them, some of those younger position players where we thought they had so somewhat of a surplus. I'm curious your sense of the likelihood that they could get something like that done because – it's clearly not the top priority. They have a lot of guys they already need to move and there's only so many hours left. So are yeah. they even going to have enough the time and the and the kind of functional logistical, you know, wherewithal to kind of get a bigger deal like that done too.
2: Yeah, you know, we'll see how this plays out and it's almost like they have to operate on two tracks and the, the track that i hear most of is is packaging, right? Okay, so like all right, what could You know like the yankees are interested in some elements of the cardinals roster right and that includes guys who have control past um past this year and if so if they have an interest in a rental and they have an interest in a player beyond this year what can the cardinals trade from their surplus to then get what they need for 2024 from the yankees and so in a way like you take the rentals you sweeten that deal with somebody who's under control and then you get the pitcher who is closer to the majors or in the majors, right? And so an example of this is like, all right, what what do they do with Dylan Carlson? Um, could, <clears throat> could Dylan Carlson and Jack Flaherty as a combo get the return that you want? Could Jordan Montgomery and Ryan Helsley as a combo get that, you know, or do you broaden out? So, you know, that's, that's the kind of discussions that I hear most about, you know, is not, A single guy, with with few exceptions, when it comes to Hicks, there are teams interested in Hicks, right, and um, what he can do and what that trade looks like and not, like, the peripherals. But the Cardinals want to go, like, okay, what can we give from our surplus to then pull something that isn't, like, down the road? Um, So if they can do that, they will. But in the meantime, that other track that I talk about is that, okay, what's the one-for-one? And how quickly can we do that? And we've seen quick deals like that take place in the final hour, right? Like oh, they, yeah. they they percolated all week. They they trying to they're they're basically distilled versions of much larger conversations, right? I mean, we saw one with the Cardinals last year, um, with what ninety seconds left to oh, go, yeah. That was, was out of was nowhere, and yeah. And it was all of a sudden. It was oh wait, Jordan Montgomery's available. Oh wait, he'll take <laughs> Harris. Okay, do it, and whoop, they went. Um you know, so you can kind of see how um, larger concept talks and larger goals get distilled down at deadline into okay, well, this is what we can get for this guy. Um, also, for the Cardinals, like for a couple of these guys, for the Cardinals, it's pretty, it's pretty mathematical for lack, lack of a better description, right? They get an offer for Jordan Montgomery that they go, they put into their calculators and says, all right, this is greater value than that draft pick and that bonus. Do the deal. And they can do that deal quickly. It's just they want to like large enlarge. They want to scale up because they they want to do kind of what the Yankees did in 2016, is make two moves um, that then put them right back into contention the next year. Mm -hmm. Um, Unlike the Yankees, the Cardinals' need is so obvious, Um, and some of the guys that they could get to help them is also pretty clear. It's how do they get there?
1: So my last question for you is about the Goldschmidt. Arenado Combo. Yeah. Now you mentioned that this organization has been particularly risk averse Mm -hmm. and trading one of their two superstar MVP finalists or MVP winning candidate, you know, big dudes is probably unlikely. I have been on this show for the last couple of weeks adamant that I think they should trade Paul Goldschmidt. And I want to make that pitch to you and I want you to tell me why I'm wrong.
2: Okay. All right. What okay. if I tell you you're right, though? So what if <laughs> well, I'm like, then you can wooed do that by your logic and and just overcome by by your case. I'm, I'm ready for it. I'm braced. I'm, I'm good. I'm open to that. The this is a seller's market, and yeah. it is
1: particularly a seller's market when it comes to bats. There are so few bats available mm-hmm. on the trade market, and there are even fewer of them that you could put in as a three hitter in a contending lineup and a guy who can carry you. To and in October, and Paul Goldschmidt is obviously one of those guys. Now, I'll admit that Goldschmidt, being on the 2024 Cardinals, makes them better than without him, yes. Now, he's a free agent at the end of next year, mm-hmm. and it'll be a, kind of an odd free agent case for a 36-year-old first baseman whose numbers have not really declined. Now, I think that if they want to get a haul of controllable starting pitching, young, good, he's the guy that they're going to need to give up – to get a quality batch of players back. If you take him out of first base, that clears a spot for Jordan Walker, who is... Well, what have we learned about Jordan Walker this year, Derek? He can hit, and he's certain as shit can't play the outfield, right? And so yeah. moving... I mean, you seem like you disagree with his uh, outfield ability, but we can get to that in a second. Yeah. So trading Goldschmidt clears the space for him in first base. Walker moves to first, and you're able to rebuild and reboot for 2024... If you acquire talent that is ready and it's not like the Cardinals offense has been the problem this season. No, right? it's not bad. No. No. And so if you take Goldschmidt out of it, it's still probably an above average lineup depending on what pieces you get back. So do I think this will happen? No, I do not. But this is kind of my argument for trading away Goldschmidt at this point.
2: Yeah. A uh, couple things there. And I, I don't disagree with the premise. Let me, let me say that up front. Um, I just, I don't know what would come in return to make that worthwhile. Are you going to get a Lazardo And re- I don't. What team would Philly comes up a lot? What start? What ready starting pitcher are you going to get from them in exchange for that? Are you going to get a Logan Gilbert from um, Seattle and some other folks? Um, you know, I don't. That's the. That's where I haven't seen it mesh. Right. Like if they move Goldschmidt, what's the big fish in return that that is suddenly a number three two one starter for you who is that guy uh and so i would like to i'd like to like hear more on that because i think the premise is fine um and and there is something to it i want one part of this is ownership and a big part of this is ownership and the cardinals well okay two parts one one you touched on and one out so i'll i'll tell you the part that like you didn't mention and then i'll 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 touch on the part that you did mention First is ownership. Ownership talks about these legacy players. They have obviously the Cardinals Hall of Fame. Um, They they want they want to keep these guys. You look at the Matt Carpenter extension. You look at what they talked about with Matt Holiday. um, Matt Holiday then went on to what the Yankees and the Rockies after leaving the Cardinals. Um, But they do talk about these legacy players, these players that they'd like to keep and they sell that as part of their promise to fans. You buy. You come to Cardinal games. You're gonna see great players. You're gonna see stars. Those stars right now are Paul Goldschmidt and Nolan Arenado, and it's part of the equation is you sold September, and you know who are they coming to see, and do you want do you want to have two years of Nolan Arenado's career, or do you want to have Nolan Arenado go into the Cooperstown as a Cardinals, you know, with an STL on his cap? Is that something that you you as an organization want? And these, these are discussions that they have um, about the notion of who are the fixtures, who do they sell to fans, who are the great players, and how do you keep them. And so you mentioned next year that uh, Paul Goldschmidt is going to be a free agent at the end of next year. It is pretty classic Cardinals to have a press conference in spring training announcing an extension. And you mentioned that it's an odd one because of his age. Well, that's where the legacy part comes in. And ownership has shown it's important to them to keep a guy as close as they can, preferably toward to the end, especially if he's still producing um, and find a way to do that. It is entirely possible. I don't you know, I don't know what the percentage is, but it is entirely possible that, you know, next spring there's a press conference with Nolan Arenado, Paul Goldschmidt, and both of them are getting contracts to the end of their careers or what the what we, what we would all think is, OK, well, this is the end to the end of their careers. And they do it in tandem, and they would say they're together. Which brings me to the other part that you did bring up. This is a good offense. Um, this is a good offense with Nolan Arenado in it. This is a good offense with Paul Goldschmidt in it. This is a good offense because of what Lars Newbar brings to it. This is a what Brendan Donovan brings to it, what the upside of Jordan Walker brings to it, what Nolan Gorman has brought to it. And especially at 23, as he's improving as a hitter and – showing off power that few left-handed bats have. So this is a good, diversible OBP, OPS-based left-right lineup. It is a contending lineup. And in that way, the Cardinals have a very clear path to contend next year. They have a lineup that they could not rebuild if they take it apart. Let's just be blunt about it. They could not recreate this lineup with Jordan Walker at first base. They can't. What they can do is they can spend on pitching. They can add starting pitching. And then all of a sudden, how many, how many moves, what, like, okay, if you trade Goldschmidt and you remove Goldschmidt from it, how many moves does it take to reclaim the line? Versus how many moves does it take to change the, the rotation? And how available are those people either via free agency? You're not getting Paul Goldschmidt in free agency. You're not getting a Paul Goldschmidt who plays outfield in free agency. Um, you're not gonna change the lineup through free agency. What you can do is spend on pitching this winter and change the rotation. And if you pair this lineup with like a representative new look rotation with three additions, free agent, significant trade and upside pitcher, how radically different do the Cardinals look, not just in the National League Central, but in the National League.
0: Uh, Derek you are tremendous thank you so much for the time on uh, what is sure to be a chaotic stretch and unique stretch for you good luck uh, covering a selling baseball team we are very excited (laughs) to uh, continue to read your work so thank you so much for, for the time and we'll talk to you again soon my friend
2: Jake and Jordan it's a pleasure to talk with you guys thank you very much much appreciated look forward to seeing you guys
1: And we're back here on Baseball Barbercast. I'm Jake Mintz. That's Jordan Schusterman. Let's run through a handful of the other trades that have gone through before we say goodbye. Ahmed Rosario, shortstop, going from the Cleveland Guardians to the Los Angeles Dodgers in exchange for Noah Syndergaard. Just a, a washed guy for a washed guy, Mr. Schusterman. Ahmed Rosario, kind of a weird situation. He was in the Francisco Lindor trade, went from the Mets to the Guardians there. And the last couple of years has been really good for Cleveland. There were talks of an extension for him. And he came out this year and he hasn't hit as well. And his defense has completely plummeted, fallen off a cliff. And so the Guardians wanted to give a shot to some of their younger players
0: to see if they could handle shortstop. And out he goes. Ahmed Rosario is pretty high on the the fumble-the-bag power rankings this season. This man could have been a free agent shortstop at age 28 and... If he had been even exactly the same that he had been the last few years, I think he would have gotten a shit ton of money, but instead everything went backwards. Very weird. At the same time, (laughs) the Dodgers, who just acquired Kike Hernandez, bring in a slightly better, younger version of Kike Hernandez to, I guess, help against left-handed pitching. The other side of this is more interesting because Noah Syndergaard, whose final start with the Dodgers I was at in Cincinnati, he looked so cooked, so beyond wash. But the reason they're doing this, if you haven't been paying attention, is that Cleveland needs some innings munchers and there's no shot that even if they think they can sprinkle their, you know, pitching development, pixie dust on him, they're not hoping he's going to start a postseason game. They need people to cover innings down the stretch here. If they're going to have a chance because they're leaning on three rookies, Aaron Savali, what and Aaron Savali, while Shane Bieber and Tristan McKenzie are injured. So he's just going to have to hopefully come in and, you know, survive for five innings, which he was barely doing with the Dodgers. So this could still not be good. But for a guy, in Rosario, that they were clearly going to get rid of anyway, then, you know, it's sort of valuable, I guess, to get center guard.
1: Carlos Santana, vibe geyser, will be walk-off, dance-moving
0: his way from Pittsburgh to the Milwaukee Brewers. And that was against the Brewers, by the way. Uh, his, his, his fantastic walk-off celebration against the Brewers. I mean, we knew he was going to get traded, and Brewers' first basemen have been horrific this season especially with rowdy being injured recently so it's a no-brainer um is it going to spark them to the world series uh probably because that's what carlos santana does he just comes in and makes it not that they were in a, you know a vibes deficit but i think he can also help them in a very real way on offense
1: the Willie adamas carlos santana handshake
0: mm-hmm. that
1: will be designed this afternoon can't wait just put it in the hall <laughs>
0: Very, very, very good. Uh, now let's talk about the Marlins quickly, who have acquired two very famous relievers over the last couple of days. They swapped relievers with the Twins, trading Dylan Floro to Minnesota for Jorge Lopez. Jorge Lopez trade, not looking super great for the Twins, but they swap him out for Dylan Floro. Floro's been better than Lopez this season, but the upside certainly great with Lopez. And then late last night, the Marlins taking a big swing and buying from the Mets, just as we all expected, landing. Closer, veteran, David Robertson to come down and try and stabilize their back end. The one run magic, the one run uh, complete wizardry has started to fall off recently because of the bullpen and they're trying to patch that up with guys like Jorge Lopez and David Robertson. I have some thoughts about this on the Mets side, but from the Marlins perspective, what, what are your takeaways here?
1: AJ Puck has been their closer all year and he's not great. He's better suited as a 7th or 8th inning guy. And so they can put Robertson right into the ninth inning and get one of the more dependable closers we've seen over the last decade and a half. And Mm -hmm. so it's kind of a no-brainer for them to go out and get a guy of of Robertson's quality. He's a super odd clubhouse fit there. He is the most white bread baseball guy,
0: right? Like, he is so bland. And, but, but can he get out? That is all Skip Schroger right. and Kim Ann care about right now.
1: Exactly. This is not like w- whenever we discuss the Marlins, it, there's this very lazy discourse that happens, right? Where it's like, oh, there's this Latin player. The Marlins are a good fit. Or like, oh, this dude's from Miami. The Marlins would be a great fit. We saw this forever with like Carlos Rodon. Everyone was like, oh, Carlos is going to get drafted by the Marlins. He's from Miami. His name's Carlos. Mm-hmm. And, so, and uh, to an extent, like, it is at a heavily Latino team compared to like the major league average, but it, they can employ David Robertson too. It's okay. Also, He's going to be fine in Miami.
0: Also, closers don't need to be friends with anybody else. He can do his own thing. You can basically build him his own bullpen and he can just hang out and, and think about being from Alabama or whatever.
1: <laughs> there are tons of
0: boring white men in Miami. I'm sure. I have no doubt. I'll quickly on the Mets side of this. A lot of discourse just flaming up overnight because of the two 18-year-old prospects that they acquired. I'm going to keep this very simple. Um, while I I obviously certainly respect the prospect writers and analysts who actually have seen this player and have, and have analyzed this player more than the people who are looking at their MLB pipeline rankings and saying, this is a disaster, this is fine and probably good. Some people love Marco Vargas, whatever. The point is, is that these are the players that the Mets have been just flying away with reckless abandon, like in the Tyler Naquin trade last year, that they desperately need to get back. Is it a little weird that that a team that is so desperately needs pitching talent in their minor league system could not get any from the Marlins? Yes, that is a little strange. However, I think that these names and their profiles look good. Do we have any idea what they're going to be? No, because they're children, but I think it is a perfectly good return. Good for the Mets. Good for them.
1: All right, let's get on to the good, the bad, and the ugly, where we tell you about one thing good, one thing bad, and one thing bizarre. Dan Ugla from the world of baseball. I'm going to lead off, and I'm going to start with my good. The Baltimore Orioles this season have had a water theme running. Every time they get an extra base hit, the pitchers in the dugout spit water fountains out of their mouth onto the field. This then led to the birdbath section in left center field, where with every extra base hit, Mr. Splashtown, or oh, I can't remember his name, just, just Mr. Splash. <laughs> yeah, it's just superhero. Takes name. a hose and just sprays a whole section with water. And there's like a bunch of, you know, pool themes hmm. this Friday tonight in what is the biggest game. The Orioles have had all season Friday night at home against the Yankees on Mo day, which, if you are from Baltimore, know is a big deal at County Yards. Adam Jones will be returning to the yard and will be the first guest splasher and will man the hose in the outfield and spray the fans with every extra base hit. I love when teams think outside the box like this. Getting a franchise legend to wet the fans during a double (laughs) is so bizarre and so baseball and just so up our alley with things we like. So kudos to the O's and kudos to Adam Jones. That is a good thing.
0: That is definitely good. My good this week is related to the Twins and their first round pick, Walker Jenkins. Uh, Jake, how much do you know about uh, a scout who recently passed away named Mike Radcliffe, Uh Twins scout? Oh, you know I heard about name? this. Go ahead. Yes. So Mike Radcliffe, who was a scout for the Twins for 30 years, was instrumental, of course, in acquiring of so many players from all different kinds of of uh, both internationally, domestically, whatever, uh, Mike Radcliffe, just a, a legend, 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 legend scout, uh, unfortunately passed away this uh, earlier this year from pancreatic cancer. And uh, Derek Falvey told the story earlier this week uh, when they signed Walker Jenkins that last summer and in the summer's previous, um, Mike Radcliffe was writing like over-the-top glowing reports about Walker Jenkins. And that's a fun detail in and of itself. And you hear stuff like this, like, oh, you know, this guy, loved this guy, and he's loved him since blah, 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 blah. But what's notable about this is that when Mike Radcliffe was writing these reports about Walker Jenkins, there was no world in which Walker Jenkins was going to be available to the Twins, who at the time were competing and were not going to be picking at the top of the draft. And so for the Twins to end up getting the best lottery luck in December, end up in the top five. And for Walker Jenkins, who very easily could have gone third or fourth, to end up falling to fifth, and and for the Twins to take him there was so freaking cool. And I just, I was just a classic baseball story, and I I loved it so much, and um, really just a, a sweet thing to see. So congrats to the Twins. I'm glad they got that deal done, and excited to see Walker Jenkins uh, be the ridiculously amazing player that Mike Radcliffe knew that he could be let's talk bad. I have a very fun one this week that I got. I'm just going to go first here, Jake. Um, This is courtesy of my brother who alerted me to something that you would think I would know ahead of him. And that is, Jake, are you familiar with the uh, Dominican Summer League you know about the Dominican Summer League you know I do league? know about the Dominican yeah. Summer League yeah I uh, know about
1: you... what you're gonna say but go ahead
0: oh oh you know about the uh, 2023 Dominican Summer League Nationals are, are you... yeah
1: I'm very familiar with the Dominican Summer oh, League
0: really Nationals. okay well we haven't talked about this so I'm so I'm excited about how you uh, came across this or maybe you were just scouring the baseball reference leaderboard uh, Jake the DSL stats are always completely wonky because some teams Can have we, like quickly Jordan yeah. Can you just explain what the DSL is for people who might not know? Yes. So the DSL is essentially the lowest level of, of like minor league baseball just because it is takes place in the Dominican with primarily 16 and 17-year-olds that just signed. So these are the youngest professional baseball players in this you know apparatus of major league baseball because it just signed or signed last year. So it's basically exclusively 16 and 17-year-olds. Playing in a very weird league in which some of the organizations have like two or three teams that are separate because they have so many players to have. Whatever. The point is is that the stats in these leagues, in this league, which starts, you know, in the middle of the summer, they play about 60 games, is always wonky because these players, while talented, are very raw. And so there's a lot of errors, there's a lot of walks, there's a lot of whatever. But the DSL Nationals this year, it's not just that they're 7-30, the worst record in the league so far. It's that their offense is unlike any professional baseball team's offense I've ever seen. Jake, they're hitting 174, 286, 226. They have hit four home runs in 37 games and are averaging less than three runs a game when the average team is averaging six runs a game. I don't know how or why this is happening, but it is very funny to see when you look at all the stats.
1: Juan Soto's little brother, Elian, is on this team, and he has a 447 OPS. Uh, but not the worst.
0: <laughs> there are even worse hitters on his team. So I've just never seen a team like this. I don't know what's going on, but I hope they can figure it out in the second half.
1: What's your bad? My bad is a quote that Joe Musgrove gave
2: <laughs>
1: the other day. Okay, I, quote, this is Padres pitcher Joe Musgrove. The Padres sit on the precipice of buying and selling. They've underwhelmed all season long. And he said, quote, I understand the fans are frustrated and looking forward to next year, but when we're a game out and don't have Snell or Hater." We'll be kicking ourselves. Listen, Joe. Listen, Joe. Okay? Maybe you do get to a game out. That's fine. But you and your teammates no longer have are able to get the benefit of the doubt here. It is not okay. You cannot be like, no one's believing in us. Like, that's the problem with the 2023 Padres is there were too many people believing too much in you. And still... Right?
0: It is still, still the active
1: problem. <laughs> the delta between how much people are believing in this team and how much the team is performing is enormous. It's a chasm. And for him to go out there and say, like, we'll be kicking ourselves if we don't have these guys, that's fine. But if you finish eight back, you'll be kicking yourself when you look around the clubhouse and there's Blake Snell and Josh Hader doing absolutely nothing for a team that's 12 games out of it. The- you know, it's it. I understand what he's going for here. And as a leader on that team, like, he's trying to rouse the troops. But, like... What have you been doing for the last four months? you just been right. sitting on
0: your ass here? Like, you can't make this point at this point with the Padres. Incredible contrast to the quotes coming out of the Mets clubhouse last night after the David Robertson trade. And they are literally, have almost identical records, right? As the Padres. And the pa- Mets players are like, yeah, this is what happens when you don't play well. <laughs> like, like, they're like, yep, it sucks. But, yep. <laughs> and so it's very, just a hilarious contrast. All right, let's get to Ugla. I am going to go Ugla, and I'm going to stay in City Field, Jake.
1: Did no, it's my Ugla, too,
0: baby. Oh, baby. We got the same Ugla. I had a feeling because this November, two Titans of the Dominican Winter League forget the Dominican Summer League. It's about the Dominican Winter League. I am wearing my Aguilas hat as I do most days. And Aguilas and Lise will be squaring off in November. In City Field, in I believe multiple exhibition games, maybe just one. This is amazing for so many reasons. Um, but what was your first reaction to this news? So, for those
1: who don't know, the Dominican Winter League is the biggest deal in the Dominican Republic. Six teams, they each play fifty regular season games or so, and it's. I went and did three and a half months there one year. It's incredible. It's a mix of. Former stars like Hanley Ramirez and prospects and guys that you haven't thought about who like Emilio Bonifacio types, basically. But it is such a big deal. And I know they have come to the States before and played some games, I think, in Miami. They have never been to New York. And so what this is going to be is cold as balls. We (laughs) will never have seen a baseball game this late in the year in New York City. And not only – it's not like it's going to be a bunch of kids at Boston College playing a home game in March in the snow. It's going to be a bunch of Dominican dudes who are playing the rest of the season in the tropics coming up and squaring off in front of a packed crowd, by the way, because there are so many Dominicans in New York. Like, it is going to be an unbelievable atmosphere and freezing.
0: I cannot wait for this. Yes. That was, of course, my first takeaway is, wow, it's going to be pretty cold. I'm gonna, I'm gonna look into trying to attend. I mean, I this is talk about a reason for me to get to New York. I got, I got to come check this out. But here's the other thing related to the topic that we just talked about: City Field should be available in October. Why don't we just uh, do Opening Day there? <laughs> because the Winter League season starts during the Major League postseason. Um, and it's very likely there could be a 20 degree difference between October 20th and November 11th or whatever so uh, I mean obviously that they're not going to change that but I'm, and I'm sure that when this was started to be organized it's not like that was going to be considered and they wouldn't be considering it anyway but I just thought that that's funny too like if it's I just I, I guess I'm just saying if it's 60 degrees in the middle of October in City Field and it's empty and, and there and then three weeks later it's 30 degrees I think that'll be hilarious so LOL. we got to get our
1: You got to come into town for that. That's a no brainer. Um, All
0: right. We did a podcast. This was so much fun. Thank you to Derek Gould for joining us to explain the Cardinals. I don't think any trades have happened while we've been recording, but I'm sure many more will between now and next week. Let us tease now that we have some big podcast plans for the deadline. So we will have a normal show on Monday, as always. But Tuesday, we are looking to do a live stream around the deadline, live podcast recording. We'll stream it. You can join, watch our our live reactions um, to the end of the deadline and just kind of wrapping it all up. So 5.30 p.m. The deadline is, of course, 6 p.m. Eastern. We are going to start the stream half an hour before then. So we will get our live reactions, any last minute deals, as well as wrapping up. Uh, and, you know, recapping whatever deals happen between the Monday show and when we record that at the end of the deadline. So very excited about all of that. Uh, But we hope you've enjoyed our deadline coverage. Thank you, Jake Mintz. Thank you, Derek Gold. Again, thank you, Chris Tyler, for producing. We hope you all enjoy this Friday edition. Hope everyone has a wonderful weekend and we hope that your favorite prospects don't get traded away. But until then, until Monday, enjoy the weekend. Enjoy the trades. Goodbye. Series XM Podcasts.